Welcome to Ivy League Murders. My name is Sarah Alcorn. I'm a Harvard graduate and a private investigator. And my name is Laura Rodriguez McDonald. I'm a University of Miami graduate, longtime crime aficionado, and part of a fourth generation NYPD family. Laura and I don't always agree on everything. With her NYPD roots and my criminal defense background, sometimes we find ourselves on opposite sides of the jury. We do share a mutual passion for crime solving, and we both grew up in Cambridge, steps away from Harvard University. On Ivy League Murders, we discuss cases where the best of the best make the worst decisions. We look at people who seemingly have it all and throw it all away. Murder, murder. I am so excited about today's case. Me too. So listeners, this is an update to the Murdoch murders. We are not going to go into too much of the background of this ever-evolving, fascinating story. This is just an update. If you want a deeper dive or are not familiar with this case, please listen to episode 16 of season 3. If you want a super deep dive, listen to the podcast, Murdoch Family Murders. And today we get to talk to the host, Seton Tucker. Welcome back, Seton. Hey, thanks for having me back on. And just want to give a shout out to Matt Harris too, your podcast partner as well. You guys are doing a fabulous job. Oh, well, thank you. He's actually under quarantine with COVID, so... Oh, yeah, I actually heard that on the episode. Oh, no. I am absolutely addicted to your podcast and this story, so I'm anxious to get an update because a lot has happened since last time we spoke. Can we start with Alex's arrest after his release from rehab? And I, I guess the big news is that he's now considered a person of interest in the murders of his wife and his son. Is that correct, Seton? That, yes, he has, and I think he has been for a while, but what happened, he wasn't actually released from rehab, he was taken from rehab. So Alec was taken into custody in Florida on two felony counts of obtaining property under false pretenses, and this is in relation to the missing settlement funds in the death of Lori Satterfield. And she was a housekeeper who worked for the Murdoch family for over 20 years, and died in a alleged slip and fall her actually her death investigation has been reopened since this time so wow south carolina law enforcement division is looking into her death to see because originally in her death certificate it said that she died of natural causes but it was a slip and fall so that's really not natural causes so the coroner has requested that they look into this and an investigation into her death has been reopened Wow. And so her sons brought suit. Is that correct? They did. They found an attorney. Apparently, they learned about this settlement money from the media. They weren't aware that that there was settlement money. Wow. Yeah. And so they had actually Eric Land, who was the attorney representing the heirs of Gloria Satterfield, now represents them. And he has done a fabulous job of getting a lot of attention to this and actually settling with a lot of the people involved in this, they were turned down by other attorneys to represent them. And they finally, I think someone pointed them in the direction of Eric Bland, who is not a South Carolina native. So I think 
you know, in legal communities, it's probably kind of taboo to sue other lawyers, but Eric Land is not. Kind of a small pond, incestuous kind of thing. Right. Most of the lawyers in the state went to the University of South Carolina Law School. They know each other. And so Eric Land, not being from South Carolina, was probably a little bit more comfortable taking this on. And have the sons since been compensated or is it still ongoing litigation? Well, they've received several settlements. Actually, just yesterday, they settled with the banker who was the personal representative for the heirs. The bank that he works for settled yesterday with heirs. They also have settled with Corey Fleming, who was the lawyer who originally represented the heirs in this settlement. So Corey Fleming was a former roommate, college roommate of Alec Murdoch. He was the godfather of his son, Paul, who we know died in June along with his mother. So there were a lot of connections to Corey Fleming. Corey Fleming's law firm has settled. They've returned all of the money that they received in attorney's fees, which was over a million dollars. They've also received... No, no. Why did they settle? Sorry, just uh, I want to back you up a little bit. They settled with the sons. Can you explain that to our listeners? So Corey Fleming, the attorney who originally represented them, we now know that they did not receive the settlement funds. And so he really didn't do his job as a lawyer because they never received compensation that they were supposed to. So they settled with the heirs and just gave back the attorney's fees. We also know that the law firm that Alec Murdoch previously worked as, they have settled PMPED, which is started by his you know, great-grandfather. It's, it's a big law firm in that area. They have settled. Now, Alec no longer works there. He was asked to resign based on millions of dollars of missing money with that. that there are yeah, I would like to talk about your, that missing your, money. Your episode on that is excellent, by the way. And can you drill down a little bit on how they believe, of course, that law firm PMPD, right? They want to divorce themselves. They, they want to distance themselves from Alec Murdoch as much as possible, obviously. And there's obvious liability issues probably for them as well. But so what was the mechanism by which he misappropriated these funds? Because that's pretty interesting. We don't really know for sure. We know that they've hired a forensic accountant. Now, I don't know if on the last episode if we really kind of explained. So there, the settlement for the Satterfields was They were supposed to get money and they were young adults. So they kind of set up this structured settlement and there was a personal representative who was a banker who was supposed to kind of help them. So they didn't just get these millions of dollars right away that they would get this money over time. So there was a legitimate company called Forge Consulting that does this. And instead, Alec Murdoch set up a bank account under Forge, not Forge Consulting, with a bank and had the money, Bank of America, had the money sent to this Ford Consulting. And if you listen to the bond hearing, you get to hear a little bit of where this funds went to. He had $100,000 credit card debt. He also paid his father $300,000, wrote another check to himself for $600,000. Oh, and then he wrote a check to the heirs, Gloria Satterfield's sons, for a whopping $84. Oh, God. That's all the money they actually received. That's terrible. That's that's horrendous. We don't know what this 
$10 million that PMPD is saying is missing from their firm, but I'm assuming it's probably something similar. It could be also that they were channeling, he was paying people for services that weren't really services. I mean, we can talk about the alleged drug addiction at some point if you guys want to get into that. Yes, I'd actually like to talk about all the missing money because I don't believe at all it was for drugs. It's an excessive amount of money. Opiate addicts, especially somebody of his age, can go doctor shopping. There's a lot of ways to obtain opiates. The amount of money is a little preposterous to me that you'd be spending, what, $20,000 a month? No, I know. He's just investing. Who knows? He might be putting it into offshore accounts. Who knows? Maybe gambling. I I just think there's some other things going on here we don't know about. I don't think that there's any way that you could possibly be still alive. And we know that there's an alleged $10 million from his law firm. We know with the Gloria Satterfield, there's $4 million. So that's a lot of opioids and to still be alive. And yeah, don't buy it. I actually, though, kind of do believe that he had some sort of opioid addiction. I don't think that that accounts for the money. But the psychiatrist who actually saw him has there was a bond hearing and he was denied bond pending a psychiatric evaluation. So he's just recently had the psychiatric evaluation and the psychiatrist has said that he does have a severe opioid addiction. I believe that. And I believe, I mean, people can be functional and to an extent. But, but no, I don't think anybody's saying that he's spending that amount of money on drugs though. Or, no, but he's, you know, he, I he's think his attorneys are saying that. Yeah, but I mean, you make crappy decisions financially and otherwise. There's when no you're under explaining addiction. for the money. So he's saying it's all, I'm just saying there's something I think we don't quite know of yet. No. Well, the money might have some ties to drug connections because Absolutely. we know that there is a second grand jury investigation. We know there's a grand jury investigation back with the boating accident of Ballard Beach about some obstruction of justice, but Recently, it's been reported that there is yet another grand jury investigation, and they're looking into ties with Alec and this, I mean, it can't get crazier than this, looking at ties between him and this cowboy gang in Walterboro, South Carolina. They're called the Cowboys. I mean, it, I didn't it, know there were cowboy gangs. You kind of love this <laughs> They identify themselves by wearing bandanas with red, white, and blue. It can't even get more bizarre, but apparently... He was writing checks to couriers that were going for drugs to this cowboy gang. And before the deaths of Maggie and Paul, he was maybe spending ten dollars to $20,000 a month. And then after that, in a short period of time, maybe like two and a half months, he spent $200,000 with this cowboy gang. And they're saying that there's clear ties between, they could trace all this with these, these checks. Interesting. Well, however, I don't believe nobody knew he was an opiate addict. His co-workers, the, his children, the people closest to addicts, they know. It seems very unlikely. I mean, we had, since we talked, there was a People Magazine article that came out and they talked all about Maggie was looking into missing finances and she had consulted a divorce attorney. But also we know now in court documents, we know that he had borrowed 400 and something thousand dollars from one of his law partners. And he'd also borrowed a large sum of money from his brother. So if you're borrowing this amount of money, don't you think he has a job? He worked at the law firm. Wouldn't people be asking questions like, 
wait a second, why do you need $400,000? Sure. No, I'm curious why you needed $400,000. Yeah, but I mean, it's, you know, I'm buying this property, I'm over leveraged. I mean, there's a million things you can come up with. However, can I just ask to the development of him becoming a person of interest in the murder of Maggie and Paul, can you tell our listeners how that's developed, how that actually came about? Well, that was actually reported way back when. Now, there was really no confirmation of that until recently. But at his bond hearing, it was very interesting because at the bond hearing, the assistant attorney general spoke and then they had an officer from SLED who the judge requested speak and asked him about ongoing investigations. So the officer consulted with the assistant attorney general and then they named the active investigations that are involving Alec. And during this, they mentioned the Stephen Smith case. They mentioned the Gloria Satterfield. They talk about multiple financial investigations, but they actually don't mention the death, the investigation of Maggie and Paul. Now, Alec has not been named a person of interest in the death of Gloria Satterfield. He has not been named a person of interest in the death of Stephen Smith, but he has been named a person of interest in the death of Maggie and Paul. So it was just interesting. I don't think it was an oversight because he consulted with the assistant attorney general. So I don't really know why he didn't say that. Do you know why he's named as a person of interest? Is there anything in the investigation that's been recently revealed that we know of or that would cause him to become a person of interest, I guess? Well, SLED has been really tight-lipped. They have not released only very limited information. I mean, we have a 911 call, but they have not really said. Now, in my mind, I think always a spouse is a person of interest. They haven't eliminated him. There are reports that he had this ironclad alibi, but I mean, he has not been eliminated. He's not been taken off, but they haven't really released any sort of concrete information that has said this is why he is still there. Do we know anything yet about whether Maggie and Paul were insured or have they released that? Now, so his Ellick's attorneys have said they were not insured. They have doubled down on it. I don't think it's been probated yet. So we don't have concrete information, but you can't hide that. I mean, if you've got people filing judgments against you and you get this million dollars, it's going to come out. But his attorneys have been adamant. They have said there was no life insurance on Maggie and Paul. So I find it very hard to believe that Alec would hold a $10 million life insurance policy and his spouse, Maggie, would hold no policy because most couples, and they were together a long time, two children, several properties, do, this is something you do together. I actually don't find that unusual, that unusual. I mean, she did not work outside of the home. So it might be that they thought her kids are older, they don't live at home anymore, that they might not really need life insurance on her as much. If she wasn't working outside the home, they didn't depend on her income. So True. Good point. So I'd like to talk about Alex's bond hearing because I'm really fascinated by the fact that he didn't get bail. Maybe you could talk about that. Yeah. That so this is interesting. Yeah. I mean, it was pretty interesting how that went down. I, mean, I think Honestly, everyone kind of thought he would get bail. So there's been a judge who has been placed in charge of all things Murdoch. He is a independent judge. I think they thought it was important to take it out of the 14th Circuit to get it into Columbia and just have a judge who didn't have ties to the area. So it was kind of surprising. Honestly, it seemed like the assistant attorney general and 
Eric Bland, who represents the Satterfield kids, were almost expecting it. Because at one point, the judge said, well, do you think that he should get bond? And they're like, oh, no, no, we don't think he should get bond. And so the judge denied it based on a psychiatric evaluation. It's just very unusual in a white collar crime that somebody does not get bond. Right? Yes. The only charges against him right now are insurance fraud, correct? Right. There's no violent crimes. No, it's not insurance fraud. He is charged with obtaining property under false pretenses. Yeah, it's a white collar crime. There's no, he doesn't have any violent offenses. So I do feel like this is very unusual. And then just earlier this week, they denied it for a second and they got the psychiatric evaluation and we don't have, they, they have not made that evaluation public, but according to Alex's attorneys, they're saying that he's not a danger to himself or society is what the report says. Now, again, we don't have that report. It's not been made public. So it, it is unusual. And so his attorneys have actually gone to the South Carolina Supreme Court and said, all right, we need to look into this. It doesn't seem like this is right that he did not receive bonds. So we'll see what the Supreme Court says, but it's a bit extreme. I mean, it, it does. I mean, honestly, Laura and I are following another murder case surrounding Yale. The person was a fugitive for about three months and they were granted bail. Now, mind you, a very record high bail amount, but still they were allowed bail. I think his attorneys are saying the same thing. I mean, they said the South Carolina Constitution guarantees every person the right to be released on bail pending charges, except for persons charged with capital offenses or offenses punishable by life in prison, which for violent offenses, which he hasn't been charged with any of those. So it is unusual. But his attorney, Bland, who represents the Satterfield era, says that these are unique crimes and that ordinary bond rules should not apply. Well, that's I'm sure everybody thinks a very legal thing to say. Because also his assets have been frozen, correct? His and his son Buster's assets? Yes. So they appointed co-receivers. So co-receivers had two co-receivers have been in charge of the assets. Now, it was really interesting because these two co-receivers were appointed. But then shortly after that, there was two lawsuits filed, one by his brother, Randy, Alex's brother. Can you back up? What was the term that you used? I didn't quite, co-receivers? Yeah, so the judge, when the assets were frozen, they appointed two co-receivers, which I guess are basically in charge of any money that's going to be spent. They have to go to these co-receivers. So if Buster needs to pay the light bill, he has to go to the co-receivers and say, yeah, I need money to pay the co-receivers. And they filed this because... Right after the charges, I think Alec paid off the Moselle property, which is where Maggie and Paul were shot. And so he was really, they sold some hunting club membership. There was a lot of financial stuff that he was doing. So that's why Eric Bland and everyone thought, okay, we need to shut down this financial stuff. And so that's when the court said, yes, we're going to appoint these co-receivers who can look into it. And then if Buster, who is Alec's son, who is his power of attorney, needs to pay some bills, he's going to have to go through the co-receiver. So everything is going to have to be approved. And they're also going to look into how finances were spent. So shortly after that, Randy, Alec's brother, files a lawsuit saying that Alec owes him money. And also Johnny Parker, who was a former law partner of Alec's, also files a lawsuit saying that 
Alec owes him all this money. Alec doesn't fight it. He just basically, there was a partial satisfaction of judgment for Randy because he had given him some farm equipment. And there was also a confession of judgment for Parker for 477000 So basically, because there was no judgment, we don't have a judgment for the Satterfield. We don't have a judgment for the Beach family. There are all these pending lawsuits, but there's no judgment. Basically, they got to jump the line. Right. And get their payment first. They got to get their payment first. But so then these co-receivers have gone back and they filed a motion for like an emergency order saying, hey, we need to shut it down and we shouldn't have to enforce the two judgments for Randy and his former law partner. So the assets are frozen in the meantime. So Alec can't get at them and diminish them any further. Yes. So do we know, uh, it's just always in my mind, like, where's Buster? I just had to ask you because he just seems like. Well, we've seen, there were some reports, I guess, Buster has been spending a lot of time with his uncle, John Marvin. He's not in the law firm. He owns a heavy equipment business. And there are some pictures that came out in the media of him in Vegas with his uncle and at the Grand Canyon. I, I believe they were really salacious and also at a football game standing in front of a table of liquor. I mean, they were really pretty wow. salacious pictures, but apparently there was some sort of conference that his uncle was attending in Vegas. So I don't know. I, I think the only thing that Buster has been charged with has been giving his brother his fake ID. So I kind of feel a little bit sorry for him. He's lost his mother. He's lost his brother and his yeah. dad's in jail and he has the media stalking him for right or wrong. I mean, Maybe he's not a good guy either, but it feels a little bit squirmy to me. I kind of wonder if the police are going to arrest Alec for Maggie. And I mean, I know it's a, this is a very far-fetched, but if they don't want to let him out because they know an arrest is coming, do you think that he will get arrested for Maggie and Paul? Um, You mean the murder? For the Maggie. murders. I know I they're know, saying I'm very just, I'm trying to figure out, like, I, I think it's 50-50. In I think... That there was a hit on Maggie and Paul for sure. I mean, it seems that this was some sort of hit, whether it was a hit placed by Alec or whether it was something. I mean, there's lots of millions of dollars missing. Someone was angry at him for some sort of unpaid debts and took retaliation. We have cowboy gangs involved, I'm sure. Right. And if you look at this is a very violent gang. I mean, there's the DEA has has described them. This is a violent gang that uses force. The interesting thing is, I think, I don't know if it was SLED or the DEA opened an office in Colleton County based on the amount of drug activity that was going down there, where Walterboro, South Carolina, which is very close to Hampton, and the Moselle property where they were was half on Hampton County, half on Colleton County. It's right on 95. It's close to the coast. It's a good location if you're going to be running drugs because it's literally right on 95, halfway between Miami and New York. Interesting. Wow. I think it could be quite possible that Alec hired someone to kill them. You know, yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, I think it could have been a murder for hire. I don't think he'd kind of buy the alibi excuse. I think that's probably legitimate. I don't think he did it himself. If he could have hired somebody or someone did it in retaliation. I think more than likely with the amount of investigations happening and missing money swirling, somehow he was involved. This was definitely not a random someone 
broke into their house and killed them. And he's innocent until proven guilty. When you're named as a person of interest, it doesn't necessarily mean you're a suspect. It means that you may have knowledge that can help in the investigation. That's what that means. I don't want to say on the podcast that we think I hired a dead person. You have to note that if anybody's spouse turns up dead, their spouse is the one who is always a person. Always. Always. Yes, absolutely. Thoroughly interrogated. But this is such an on, I mean, your, your podcast, and we suggest everybody listen to it. It's so fascinating. And it's, I love it. There's so many updates. You don't usually get this many, a case with so much going on all the time. And you're attending all these hearings and you're, you're really right in the thick of it. And you really do a great job in the podcast, I think, of breaking down the motions, breaking down the legal perspectives the, the, and making them right. very palatable for those of us who, who aren't legally trained. And really no, keeping I mean, everybody abreast of what's happening in the case. Yeah, I mean, I, I am not legal, but this is a legal family. So I'm not legal, but this is a family that... They use their power legally to run things, to take over conservatorships, all kinds of things. Like they the, yielded their power. Yeah, that's right. That's a very good point. The legal and the political in a small place low country. You know what I mean? It's just, I feel like that's, we circle back from where we were talking in the beginning, where everybody knows everybody and it's all very interconnected, it seems. So see what's coming up, what's next, what should we expect? I think we hopefully will start hearing more. I, I hope SLED starts releasing more information to the public where we know what is happening with Maggie and Paul's death, because again, really all we have is some very heavily redacted police reports and a 911 call, but we don't know where their investigation is going at all. It seems that we're finding more out from these court documents than we are from the investigative agencies. And when is the next hearing? We're waiting to hear what happens with the South Carolina Supreme Court, whether they're going to uphold what Judge Newman says and keep Alec in jail or whether they're going to say, no, he deserves bond. The other thing, so we know there was the murder-suicide plot. Both Alec and Eddie Smith have grand jury said, no, they can stand trial. There's enough evidence for them to stand trial. So we know that this is going to happen. Really, all Alec was accused of was insurance fraud with that. So we'll have to see what happens with Eddie Smith, because Eddie Smith is saying, nope, I was not involved in this in any way. The only thing I did was wrestle a gun away from somebody who was asking me to shoot him. He says he wasn't. Uh, We did have a ER doctor on our podcast. Yes, that was great. Who said basically he really did have some legitimate injuries. A lot of people questioned it because when he showed up for his bond hearing on this murder-suicide plot, he really did not have any visible injuries. And so we thought this is crazy. Now we have just very limited, only like four pages of medical records that his attorneys have released. But when we consulted with the ER doctor, he agreed with the treatment and he said why he would have gotten out so quickly, but he said he did legitimately have some injuries. And one question a lot of people had was why we wouldn't have seen his head shaved if he was shot in the head. And it was kind of more of a very, didn't, penetrate the scalp, but he said, we actually don't shave heads anymore because we've realized that it increases infection more. So sometimes people are jumping to these conclusions that actually aren't correct. Absolutely. No, that's why we wanted to have you on to to clear this up because it's such a fascinating case. It almost seems like he did it to solidify the story that he was also a target. 
you know, Maggie and Paul had been shot and killed recently. I don't know if I believe that he was out to really kill himself or make it seem like he had been shot, but he definitely seems like he wanted to draw the attention away from himself as a suspect or i agree with you i think that was his initial story when he immediately said that he was changing his tire and that he was i think he just didn't realize that a there was a camera in that church and that his story was not plausible because he had these run flat tires i think he was going to stick to that he was probably trying to take some heat off of himself like look there's really this gunman out there running around and it wasn't until evidence came out, he realized he couldn't stick with that story that he had to change it. I think this is going to be a case that it's truly a follow the money case. The money is going to really lead them to a lot of the leads. And that's, I'm sure that's what they're doing, obviously, because there's so much money and Alec doesn't seem like he was too careful in hiding all these transfers of money and who he sent them to. And I'm sure the police are coming up with a lot. I know we have an episode titled follow the money and we've, We have said that all along. I think that's following the money trail is what's going to tell us what happened in Maggie and Paul's death, whether it was Alec hiring somebody or some other debts paying. I think the money is probably going to give us our answers more than anything else. So I think you're absolutely right. Absolutely. Seton, your podcast is fantastic. It is detailed. We just urge our listeners to listen to you guys, the Murdoch family murders, and you guys are doing a great job. Hats off to you. And, uh, and I don't know about Laura, but I'm going to go and deep dive on cowboy gangs now. That's my <laughs> well, answer. like East Coast City girls. <laughs> yeah, this, is like- well, this cowboy gang is so interesting. Like when I saw that, I was like, really? It can't even get stranger. And I was talking to someone else from the walls of our era and said, there's actually two gangs. There's two rival gangs. Oh in- are, they, are they like Hell's Angels with horses? I mean, that's what I'm picturing. I don't think so. I don't really understand why they need, they don't look like cowboys. The pictures I've seen, they do not, they're not wearing Western wear. It's that it's not what you would think. Oh, from a cowboy. That's just I know. That's a little disappointing. God, I want like, I want a bunch of like Marlboro men hanging around. No, they don't. They do not look like Marlboro men. They look more like gangsters. Okay. (laughs) Thank you again. Thank you so much. Such a pleasure. And I couldn't be, we couldn't be any more thrilled for the success you're having with this podcast. Absolutely. It's actually a great example to people that your mom, you got passionate about a case. You decided to make it happen with the podcast and you're having this great success. I just think that shows all of us and everyone out there that you can get passionate about something anytime and make it happen. Oh, well, thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it. Have a good one. You too. Murder.